Welcome to episode number 47 of the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. Today's guest joins us all the way from the USA. The Merlin Project Coordinator at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, Drew Weber. He is going to tell us all about what the powerful Merlin Bird ID app offers, both new and experienced birders, as well as letting us in on some exciting future plans for the app. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part, Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. Be sure to check out our website, our YouTube channel, as well as our various social media pages. Last week saw two great young guests on the Youth Birding Podcast, so be sure to check out what else the birding life has to offer. So without further ado, let's tune into today's episode and hear from Drew. Okay, so Drew, you are the Merlin Project Coordinator at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. What does this role look like? Hey, Adam, thanks so much for having me on today. I'm, I'm super excited to be here and uh, chatting about what we're, what we're doing at the Lab of Ornithology. My role as the Merlin Project Coordinator basically involves working on um, you know, everything to do with the Merlin Bird ID app, but also includes a bunch of you know, tools related to collecting media and using media at the Cornell Lab, particularly with you know, working with the eBird team um, and the Macaulay Library team to, you know, collect biodiversity data from around the world. Um, and then for the Merlin part of it, what I really like doing is packaging up all this information into a way that helps birders and nature enthusiasts and you know backyard bird feeders figure out what birds are looking at, uh, better understand what birds are around them, and uh, you know gain more appreciation for um, you know the the really cool birds that are around all of us and you know singing all the time and are easy to ignore if you don't know that, that they're there. So that's the technical side of who you are, but on a just in terms of for people who have no idea who the heck you are. So who are you, Drew? And also, how did you get into birding? Because it's a bit of a, it's an unusual hobby for a lot of people. How did this passion for birds start? Yeah, so I am, I'm based in uh, Syracuse, New York right now, um, but spent most of my life in uh, Pennsylvania. You know, I, I was always kind of interested in the outdoors. My parents would take me outside on, on long walks and my dad would point out birds. And so I kind of always had an appreciation for birds, but it wasn't really until college when I had a chance to you know, work at some bird banding or, or bird ringing stations um, and start doing some bird surveys um, on my own that I really understood that like, oh man, there's like, you know, job opportunities or, you know, career potential um, working with birds. And so, you know, I kind of jumped into the, the world of field work and worked for, you know, Pennsylvania Breeding Bird Atlas and uh, tracked uh, Northern Solwood Owls, which are um, a tiny owl. They're, you know, only about six inches tall. We tracked them from dusk to dawn um, in the in the winter of the Pennsylvania mountains. So I, I got a lot of fun, you know, kind of outdoor experiences with birds. But one thing I realized is, you know, I also really like technology and I like playing around with technology and kind of seeing what's what's available. And so I started thinking more and more about, you know, how to combine my interests of technology and, and birds. And, you know, maybe about 2011 or 2012, I started working with a, 
with an app company called um, Birds in the Hand. They created the Bird's Eye app, um, which taps into eBird data. And so I basically got into that job because I kept emailing the guy, uh, David Bell, and it was like, hey, you should do this with the app. You should do this with the app. And it's finally like, maybe you should just come and, and help us do these things. Um, so I, with with the Bird's Eye app, um, I really gained a lot of experience kind of working on the app side of things. And so in 2015, I had the opportunity to come over to the Lab of Ornithology and kind of work on these same problems of you know building building an app that helps people you know engage with birds, find birds, um, identify birds. And so I've been at the the lab ever since, um, working for the Merlin Project. And yeah, it's it's been a it's been a real blast. You've been talking a lot about the Cornell Lab. Tell us a little bit about this organization. I've heard a lot about it. You know, obviously a lot of us in South Africa know about the almost the university side of it and that, but what what is the Cornell Lab? Yeah, so the um the university is a big pretty big part of, of the community in Ithaca. The Cornell Lab is uh, just a little bit outside of town um, on this piece of property called Sapsucker Woods. Um, so sapsuckers are a, a species of woodpecker um, that are common in this area. And we're about 250 people that are really dedicated to advancing the understanding and protection of the natural world. Um, and much of our focus is on understanding birds as indicators of the health of natural systems. So, you know, we have everything from doing really cool uh, research. You know, we have a full and active uh, faculty. You know, there's faculty members that are, you know, part-time at the lab and part-time on Cornell campus. But we also have, you know, graduate students and postdoc students. And they work on all sorts of things, including uh, one of my favorite is um, BirdCast, which is using the weather radar system across the U.S. Um, to actually detect the biological signatures of birds on the radar. Um, you can you know, see the birds, you can see insects, you can see um, bats on this radar. But anyways, they're taking the signatures of the birds on this radar to get estimates of how many birds are migrating at a particular time. And so during the spring and fall migration, um, they actually put out a like a three-day weather forecast for bird migration, show you like how, what the volume will be of birds migrating over each night. And kind of the cool, you know, conservation side of this is that they can actually get estimates for how many birds are migrating, you know, throughout the entire season and kind of get, you know, broad level songbird estimate uh, population numbers. Um, and they can do this going back uh, about 25 years. And so they can see trends of, of birds just using the radar. So there's uh, lots of, kind of like cool projects like that that are going on. But we also do programs for school kids and teachers. Um, there's lots of ways for people to get involved. We have citizen science projects like Project Feeder Watch, where you look at um, birds coming into your feeder in the winter. Um, Nest Watch, where you're uh, monitoring nests during the breeding season. Um, we have a, a thing called Bird Academy that is uh, really online learning for all sorts of things bird related. Um, we have you know, a photography course you can take online, um, a full ornithology course you can take. You can um, you know, do a, all sorts of uh, you know, tricky bird ID related courses. Uh, there's a lot of really cool things offered there, um, a field journaling course. Um, and then we also do some things that aren't related to birds that are pretty interesting. Um, the bioacoustics uh, team 
has done a lot of cool tracking and monitoring of whales. Um, so in kind of like shipping lanes, monitoring when the whales are moving and um, you know, trying to help make sure the the ships are um, avoiding the whales as they as they move around. And then also you know tracking of of elephants um, using bioacoustics to to see where they are kind of in in the environment. A couple other uh, cool things that you might have seen or might want to check out. Um, we have a a project called Bird Cams, and it actually you know puts out webcams at various bird nests and um, kind of birds feeding areas around the world. So there's a really cool one up in um, Ontario, Canada that has pine grosbeaks and you know all sorts of finches uh, coming to the feeders. There's one in Panama that has you know mock moths and tropical thrushes and tanagers coming. And they also have ones you know just looking at uh, various uh, nests like Bermuda petrel and red-tailed hawk and bald eagle. Um, and so you, you know people love coming in and looking at you know what what the current you know latest chick to hatch is looking like and and what the latest food item that was brought in looks like. Really cool things going on there. Um, and then we also have a, a media department that creates everything from fun social media uh, educational pieces to full-length documentaries, including a recent one on the Philippine Eagle, uh, which is available through iTunes actually, um, and looks at kind of the, the history of, of conservation of the Philippine Eagle. Um, and it's a, a really well put together piece. Um, so that's just a little bit about what we do. Um, like I said, there's about 250 of us that work at the lab, all working remotely right now, but you know, generally we're in this really cool building all together. Um, and it's, it's, for me, it's a blast to work there because, you know, you just randomly walking past, you know, people throughout the day, um, that are working on really exciting things and want to talk about birds or you know, taking bird walks with people or meeting visitors that are, you know, traveling from all over the world to, to, you know, come see what the lab is all about. Yes. You guys are doing absolutely amazing work over there. So yes, I need to come visit there sometime. Yeah. And that's not even mentioning eBird, which, um, <laughs> we'll uh, talk about a little bit later, um, which is, you know, the largest bird database. Um, where, you know, people from all around the world are entering their bird sightings. So Drew, why we got you on the show was to chat about the Merlin Bird ID app. And this is a really, really powerful app. I know I've personally tried it out many, many times. So firstly, how did this app come about and what does the app do? Yeah, so um, about 10 years ago, eBird was really taking off in the US. And, you know, the cool thing about eBird is people are putting in their sightings, uh, what they're seeing in their backyard. Um, or their local patches, or you know when they're out birding. So we're getting data from all over, and we realized that you know this gave us some really unique resources at our fingertips. You know we have basically live status and distribution information for all of these species. There were already some other apps out there that were using eBird data in really cool ways to help find birds, um, but we thought we could build an app that could really help engage new users. Uh, so. Basically the idea when we started off with Merlin was to walk users through, you know, a couple of the key characteristics that birders use to make quick field identifications. So this came down to, you know, what size the bird is roughly, what co main colors can you see on it? And then the general habitat and behavior of the bird. And so we can basically combine, you know, those three things with our knowledge of the status and distribution of every species 
to whittle down the list of likely species from you know several hundred possible species that you'd see in your field guide down to you know just a short list of you know five, 10, 20 species. So we aren't just giving you a single answer and then asking you to believe the app. We want it to be you know a, a positive learning experience where you're taking something away beyond just the name of the bird. So in addition to like showing you that list of species to explore, um, we also are you know showing you photos that illustrate the different ages and sexes um, and you know regional variation of the bird. We have audio files that go along that uh, show the different songs and call types um, and you know additional ones for the birds that are very very variable um, and so you know not only are you just not only are you getting this list of birds you're also getting all this accompanying information we also have you know id text that kind of describes briefly the key characteristics to look out for and so the idea is to give the user the power and the information to make the decision of what they saw um, rather than saying hey this is a you know downy woodpecker just believe us um, and so we think that, you know, that ability um, really helps the user kind of take their initial interest and grow on it. And so that's kind of the, the main feature that lived in, in Merlin for, you know, the first several years of its existence. Um, and so it was a, you know, a very simple app. It didn't do much, but it was very useful to the beginning user. Yeah, so Drew, the thing, what is interesting what you were saying right now is a lot of people, when I've spoken about the app, good birders say that it's going to make birders lazy because you just put a picture in or whatever, and then it tells you what bird it is. And what are your thoughts around that? I know you've spoken about, you know, it's to really help people identify birds, but, you know, remember the old days people would see a bird and kind of go page through a field guide until they find the bird. And, you know, you're taking, you're taking that out of birding. Does it, does it not cheapen the journey if if you if i could say it that way yeah that's a i mean that's a really great question um you know i think a lot of us that have been birding a long time have you know you know we've had either birding mentors or we've spent you know days and days pouring over bird books um kind of reading all about these different birds and uh you know kind of preparing for making identifications in that way and we've also spent a lot of time paging through long field guides, trying to figure out, you know, what, what really matches what we saw in the field. In my mind, I think Merlin is just another resource that helps people get to the answer that they're looking for. It can, you know, one really cool thing is it's not judgmental. So if you need to get help 50 times, figuring out what that common bird is in your backyard, you can just do it over and over again in Merlin and you can get that answer um, to help reinforce you seeing that. And I think that's, you know, really helpful for a lot of people that uh, would feel, you know, awkward about asking that same question over and over again, you know, if they're birding with somebody. Cornell is based in the U.S. So is the app only a U.S. app or is this is an app that can be used all around the world? It was a U.S. app only um, for the first about four years of its, yeah, of its existence. When I first came on to, came to the lab in 2015, um, it covered 400 species just of, you know, U.S. and Canada. Um, and it wasn't even, you know, that doesn't include all the species of, of the countries there. The U.S. has about 800, 900 species. Canada has a couple more. And so uh, my, my first job was basically expanding Merlin to cover 
all of the US so that it would kind of be useful to a broader set of users, you know, kind of adding some features in to make it more useful to more expert birders um, or birders of every level. Um, and so we worked to add in, you know, another, you know, the 300 species for the US and Canada. But we quickly realized that, you know, we have all this content, all this data, this app is being, you know, well-received in the US, we should try to expand it. Um, and so in 2017, we released packs for Mexico um, and the UK. And that was really cool because, you know, for Mexico, we translated the whole app to Spanish, um, translated all the content to Spanish. Through eBird, we have really good partnerships in Mexico um, with uh, with Canabio. Um, and so, you know, we were able to work with them to get the translations. And then that organization was able to use Merlin um, as part of their programs. And so, you know, having the, the new pack in Mexico and then also in the having the pack for the UK was kind of our, our first, you know, dipping the toes in the water of, of working um, outside the US. And it was you know, very well received. As soon as the packs were released, we had a huge um, increase in, in users from those countries. Um, and so we just kind of continued marching on. Um, traditionally, the lab's expertise has been, um, or our strongest partnerships have been in Central America and South America. Um, so we kind of just started working down Central America and adding Costa Rica, you know, Guatemala, Belize, Panama, Honduras, Nicaragua. We added those, uh, added a lot of the species of Colombia. The Colombian birders are super, super keen on, you know, having the, the most species of any country in the world. And the birding community there is amazing. And Merlin kind of just took off there. Uh, so that was really exciting to see. But we, yeah, we've just been kind of slowly ticking off new, new countries as we're able to. Um, the real the real limiting factor has just been, do we have enough content to, to build these packs? Um, can we find writers who can write good content to you know, describe the species? And can we get translations for you know, whatever uh, local language is spoken that we need to release for you know, a country? So our third language ended up being Portuguese. Uh, we launched PAC in uh, Brazil back in 2018. But you know, a couple more that we've um, added have been you know, for, for an Israel pack, we, of course, translated to Hebrew. For We have a Taiwan pack now that just came out early in 2020 um, and several packs for different parts of China. So we have traditional and simplified Chinese support. And then we've also added Russian, French, and German. Um, so basically, you know, kind of the, the main languages that are spoken in the areas that the packs cover. So we've been slowly adding more packs. We now cover the majority of South America, in addition to all of you know the Caribbean, Central America, North America. Uh, we have packs to cover all of Australia, um, all of India, and then we are well all of Europe. And then we're starting to cover more and more of Africa. So we've released packs for Northern Africa, South Africa, of course, and and some of the of the Southern Africa countries. We have a Rwanda pack and a Madagascar pack. But we're planning a bunch more packs this year. Uh, so, you know, kind of top of our, our list are our packs for Kenya and Tanzania and Uganda. We already have a bunch of users in, in some of those countries. So we're excited to, you know, get out a pack that actually has all the species that uh, they would be looking for. Really cool thing to see um, over the past, 
you know, what, four years now that we've had packs out for other parts of the world is uh, the increase in, you know, the number of users outside of the U.S. Um, so currently about 20% of Merlin users are outside of U.S. and Canada. Um, and that, that number is really only growing as we release packs for new regions. So we have 7,500 species, you know, 3,000 of them being added last year. So that you know, obviously means that we've just in the last year expanded to a bunch of regions. And the highest increase or the highest usage areas have obviously been places with packs. You know, India, particularly in Australia and Brazil, Colombia, those, those areas have, you know, really latched onto Merlin. It's been really cool to see South Africa, actually. Um, we released the pack in May and, you know, there were, there were some people using, surprisingly, some people using uh, the app before we had a pack in South Africa, but, you know, the number has very quickly jumped um, since May and now there's, you know, yeah, close to 4,000 people every month that are using the app um, right now in, in South Africa. Birding Eco Tours offers worldwide birding tours, including many birding adventures across Southern Africa, Madagascar, and the rest of Africa. They offer package tours, as well as private or custom trips where you can target specific species that you wish to see. They have some of the top birding guides in the industry, including top South African guides Dylan Vasapoli and Dominic Rowlandson. Andy Walker in Indonesia and Eduardo Omichi in South America. These are top birders with top people skills. Not only will you get to see great birds, but by using Birding Eco Tours, you will be making a valuable contribution to conservation because they donate a minimum of 10% of their annual profits to conservation projects and local communities. Look on the Birding Eco Tours website for wonderful birding calendars, birding caps, lens cleaning cloths that can be attached to your binoculars and other items for sale in addition to the tours themselves. Quote the birding life and you'll get 5% off your tour or merchandise order. For more information visit www.birdingecotours.com That's www.birdingecotours.com All relevant links will be posted in the comment section of this podcast. And then Drew, for the sake of those who have never used the app, you're talking about this pack. People might be like, what the heck are you talking about with the pack? What do you mean mean by a pack? Yeah, so um, one really cool thing about all of this content is that, you know, we we really think of Merlin as this crowdsourced app. Um, I'm talking about, you know, these sightings that inform the status and distribution of, you know, species that we use. And that all comes from bird sightings that people put into eBird. All of the, the photos and sounds that go into the app are media that were uploaded through the eBird checklist. So you can, you know, add add your media to um, a checklist to, you know, either help validate a report, um, but also, you know, photographers like to um, illustrate what they saw and you know, show off the the cool shot they got or the cool behavior that they saw um, or cool interaction between two birds. Um, and so when people upload these media, they become part of the Cornell Labs Macaulay Library, which is like an online digital uh, scientific archive of natural sounds, natural uh, birds, you know, c- includes, c- includes things beyond birds, frogs and insects and kind of anything that makes noise um, in the natural world. But yeah, so there's all this, all this content coming in. And so what we're able to do is, you know, take kind of the cream of the crop of of this recorded audio um, to create the audio sets that go into Merlin. Uh, we use kind of the you know, top photos to illustrate the different age, sex, plumages, variations of uh, birds. And we package that all up 
um, for a country so that you can just download the country you're interested in. Um, and so basically, you know, when you first download the app, uh, one of the first questions it uh, asks is, you know, what pack do you want to download? It uses your location to figure out what the most appropriate one is. Uh, but then you can just download the pack for your region. With the 7,000 species that we currently cover, um, if you wanted to download all of that, it'd be close to 10 gigabytes. So obviously it's important to let people download just the species that are of interest to them. And so that's why we have kind of these country and regional level packs that contain all of the, the photos, all the sounds, and the ID text and kind of the other ID help for, for that region. So basically it's what lets Merlin work completely offline um, when you're when you're out in the field and get that ID help, even when you don't have a, a local connection, um, and be able to explore all of that uh, photos and sounds and things like that. Okay, so I've got the app open in front of me, and there's three little boxes there: start bird ID, photo ID, explore bird. So somebody downloads the app, and we'll chat about how to download the app a little bit just now. But somebody sees a bird in the field and they want to identify it. How does that process look? Yeah, so uh, we kind of touched on that, the, the simplest method where you describe the bird, um, that's the start bird ID button. And that's where you go through and, you know, you launch the app, click on start bird ID, tap in, you know, where you're birding and the date, which quickly narrows down how many species to consider. Um, and then you, you use colors, size and behavior to narrow it down even further. Um, and so that's kind of the, the simplest flow. Um, that's the flow that has been in Merlin since 2013. And it's also still the most you know, commonly used way for people to identify their bird. The next best tool to kind of ID the bird, in, in my opinion, is that bottom button, which is explore birds. Um, so this is like a personal field guide for wherever you are in the world. Um, it relies on that eBird data to figure out you know, what birds have been reported in your area um, for every week of the year. But you start by setting your location and the current date to get that list. And then, yeah, based on the nearly billion sightings that have been entered into eBird, it you know, creates a personalized list for, for your location. Um, and basically what you're seeing on there then is a scrollable list of birds you might actually see with a thumbnail for each bird um, and then a bar chart, which is basically you know, for each week of the year, how uh, frequently that species is reported. Uh, and this enables you to quickly get a sense for which birds are present for the breeding season, uh, which birds are year-round residents, um, which birds you can you know, actually expect to see at different times of year. There's a, on this screen, there's a couple cool things you can do with the list via this filter settings um, that are in the top right of the screen. So this is where you could you know, customize the location and date. So you could you know, set this for you know, a future date and um, a location where you're gonna be vacationing um, so you can uh, study the birds you might see. You can also filter the list in a couple different ways. And this is, in my mind, particularly cool. Uh, you know, we know how frequently birds are reported, so we can actually use that to sort the list um, by birds that are most likely. And so what you end up with is a list that uh, looks all jumbled around taxonomically. So it might feel jarring at first because it's not what you see, expect to be seen in a field guide but it's really useful for studying for a trip or maybe, you know, a quick refresher on what you might expect to see when you first arrive. You know, when I set it to my location, it's basically a list of all the birds I'd expect to be able to see in my backyard. 
um, those are the top of the list. Um, and you know, if I set it to Durban, I can see that you know some of the first birds I might be able to see are common bulbul, uh, red-eyed dove, or Cape white-eye. Um, and so I can you know make sure that I really know the common birds, um, you know what they look like, what they sound like, and that's going to help me you know as I look for the less common species around. If you uh, keep your life list in eBird, you can also hide the species you've already seen. Um, so on that on that list, you can just hide those, um, and that gives you a quick target list for your upcoming trip. Um, so you can you know prioritize studying just the birds that you haven't seen before, which I think is particularly fun. Photo ID is the the main feature that a lot of birders latch onto. Um, it's that uh, the third of those buttons on the home screen, and Basically, what we've been able to do is use the 25 million images that have been uploaded to Macaulay Library to build uh, what's called a convolutional neural network. Uh, so it's using computer vision to recognize the different patterns that make up different species. And we can do that because we have you know, so many photos of each species. And we you know, can trust that these photos are, you know, the correct species that they've been, uh, you know, assigned to the correct species, and that's, you know, con continually improving. And so, using all of this, you know, huge image resource, Merlin, using a, a machine learning model, can identify just over eight thousand different bird species. One particularly cool thing about this is that, as people upload more images, or they find a bird that, you know, Merlin isn't doing very well on at identifying. If they upload that image, the next time we train this model on all the images, it will improve. And so the ability to identify all these birds just really keeps going up um, and improving as, as people are adding more data. Um, so Drew, one thing as, you, as you're speaking, which is I find interesting, is the fact that a lot of birders often well, a lot of birders would think of the Merlin app as more for newer birders, but you know when you spot, start speaking about the explore explore birds option, where you can start planning trips and that, you know it's it's actually an app that that offers almost any bird at any level something. Yeah, that's that's totally true, uh, Adam. One of the one of the things we've been working on for the past few years um, was just you know bringing in more features that benefit birders of every level. In my mind, at least, if we're you know offering something that the more advanced birders want to use and keep in their pocket, it's going to be way easier for them to explain to a beginning user how to use it and to you know kind of promote the app to a new user um, if they're actually users themselves. So rather than you know in the early days, all the you know more advanced established birders knew about Merlin. And they'd be like, oh, you should check out the Merlin app. I'm not quite sure how it works, but you should check it out. I've heard it's good. Whereas now, you know, we've we've reached the point where, and this felt like a, a huge win for me, but, you know, a lot of the avid birders at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, now when they, you know, go on a trip to a new country, you know, they might study up ahead of time with field guides and maybe take them along, but they're mostly relying just on Merlin when they're out in the field to, you know, have that reference for what the bird looks like and sounds like um, and what birds are around. And this is, you know, particularly useful in places that, have you know a, an abundance of species that could be confusing for example going down to columbia a couple of years ago i relied really heavily on merlin because they have you know i forget how many species of hummingbirds but it's absurd but when you're using merlin you know it can narrow the list down to just the 20 or 30 that are possible in your area 
And the same goes for uh, you know more cryptic species like wood creepers, where if you take along the the field guide to Columbia, you have several pages of these you know very similar looking brown and and white birds. With Merlin, you can see that you know maybe there's three species that are actually likely in your area. And so yeah, in my mind, making Merlin more approachable, more useful to the whole spectrum of birders helps us. Uh, introduce Merlin to more beginning birders, which is, you know, really important. So Drew, um, I would suggest possibly that eBird isn't the the prominent bird recording app in South Africa at the moment. So how much, do- how much eBird data comes from South Africa firstly, and how does the volume of data impact the bird, the app correctly, correctly identifying birds in the field? Yeah, um, there, there actually is a, you know, a group of eBirders that are um, going around South Africa and, and reporting stuff through the eBird app and, and the website. Um, in 2020, it was close to 2,000 folks were using eBird. And so this you know could have been tourists and the like as well. But that 2,000 eBirders reported about 40,000 checklists just in 2020. So it's you know it's not kind of the level of checklists that we're seeing in North America. Uh, for sure, where, you know, eBird is the established way to report sightings. Um, but it is pretty notable in in Africa as being the most active uh, community of, of people reporting to eBird. One thing that's, I mean, obviously, you know, coverage across the globe is going to be variable for a lot of reasons. Um, population centers are going to always have more data than, you know, very rural areas. And areas with access to the internet are going to have more data than those without. So one of the things that we did was um, when we were setting a lot of this up, we built a system that can hopefully handle a lot of this variation. You know, we think about places like uh, the Brazilian state of Amazonas that only has around 11,000 checklists. It's a huge area. Um, And then you look at New York City where Central Park, uh, you know, has several different locations within the park that people report data at that have more data than that entire uh, state of Amazonas. And so, you know, we built a system that can handle this by providing that frequency, that status and distributions data at several different levels. And so, you know, if there's lots of data for your area, you get uh, really precise data for where you're actually standing. If there's less data, we kind of look at a, a broader area um, and we can, you know, even look out to basically the whole country or if, you know, there's subdivisions in the country like states or departments, kind of look at that level. Um, and, you know, we have people building custom checklists of, you know, what species should occur in that region. And so even if we don't have, you know, a ton of data for a small location, uh, we can still generalize to what we would expect to be there. Uh, based on um, expert curation, and that basically ends up looking like you know when you're when you're traveling around populated areas in South Africa, uh, you should see you know pretty pretty good representation of what species are there and um, what species aren't. But as you get out into more rural areas, uh, the data might get a little bit less precise, and that's only going to improve as you know more people are reporting more more species and more data. Um, over time. I must say I've been very impressed with the the accuracy of the app. We went a couple of, I think last year or the year before, we did a trip up to a place called Cumberland, and uh, which is just inland from us. And 
we, you know, I've been telling the guys about this Merlin app and the guys were a little bit skeptical and we had a brown snake eagle the one afternoon and a, a juvenile, which is not, not the easiest to identify. And I took a photo just with my camera, connected my, my camera via Bluetooth, uh, Bluetooth to the phone, put the, the picture into the, in the app. Actually, no, I didn't even do that. I actually took a photo of the back of the camera, the, the, the image on the back of the camera and popped it into, into the Merlin app and it got the identification 100%. What I, when I was testing the app out, I actually went into a local Facebook LBJ group and I was just, I got, I just started downloading pictures that I knew people had identified correctly. And all I did is I, I just put them into the app and I tested it, tested it. And I, I probably would find the app is probably being about 95% accurate and it's it's amazing how how well this app actually does and even when it doesn't get the right identification of a bird it, it allows you to it pushes you in the right direction where you can go to your field guide and you can identify the bird correctly so the accuracy of this app is absolutely amazing oh, that's that's awesome to hear that, that that was your experience it's been really cool to see you know particularly with the photo id tool how it's you know really increased in accuracy even as you know, when we first launched it, it did 500 species or so. And so we weren't sure, you know, when we add another 500 species, you know, is it still going to be accurate when we add another, you know, 7,000 species, is it still going to be accurate? Uh, and what we found is that, you know, that didn't hurt the accuracy at all. Um, and we've gotten so many photos coming in that it just, you know, has continued to improve it. And what we're basically seeing now is that, mm -hmm across all the images that we test, because we can test it, you know, against the images that people have uploaded. It's usually getting the correct answer at the number one slot, 86% um, of the time. And so we, you know, we show up to five options when we um, show you the results. And so, you know, hopefully it's even higher than that, that we're actually showing the result in that list. But then the other piece of this is that we use that eBird data. We layer that in on top to filter out species that, you know, we know don't occur in your area. And so that brings the accuracy up to about 93%. Um, so that seems very similar to the, the number you were, um, you're putting out of, uh, what you're experiencing. And I think that that kind of remaining 7% of, of accuracy that, you know, we're always going to be striving for is going to come over time as people upload more photos to Merlin to identify see what you know it's struggling with and then upload those to eBird to you know help become part of the the training set and i think you know it's it's going to be really cool over time to see what that tool what the photo id tool can evolve into um as far as you know the kind of the dreams out in the future you know being can you can you count birds right can you identify multiple birds in one photo could you have you know a live view of it where you're uh digiscoping and it's you know telling you when something interesting comes into view um, there's a lot of a lot of cool applications that we can kind of imagine for the future so in south africa we use the ioc bird list um, is this list available on the app so uh, we actually use the clements taxonomy um, that's the, the taxonomy that's managed by the cornell lab and is used um, across all our all of our products so ebird um, birds of the world Merlin. Um, and it's a worldwide taxonomy, much like the IOC bird list. You will find that there are some differences uh, between the two taxonomies, uh, but that's something that uh, there's currently a, a big initiative between all the major worldwide taxonomies to kind of come together on what, you know, what these differences are and try to resolve them. So while, while there might be a few differences now, um, we should see a lot of 
a lot of that disappearing over time. Uh, one thing that Merlin does that I didn't mention um, that's pretty cool is it supports different common name options. And so like not only can you see what the common names are in, you know, Korean and uh, Croatian and French and uh, German, um, but you can also see, we also uh, offer options for different versions of English. Uh, so there's a English South Africa option, you know, where the spelling of certain birds uh, differs from the, the US spelling. And so we can kind of customize that so it makes sense for users in South Africa or users in Australia or users in India um, that use, you know, slightly different English names than we use in the US. And so while we're still, you know, based on that Clements tax taxonomy, you should still be able to see the bird names that you kind of expect to see and should mostly match up with, you know, what you're seeing in your field guides. I spoke earlier about how I identified the bird and I know you can connect your camera via Wi-Fi to your phone and pop the photo into there. But what is quite a cool feature is the Swarovski DG monocular can be connected directly to the app. And that's quite a cool little feature. Yeah, that was a, that was a project that um, was really cool to work on. Um, so this is a eight by 32 monocular. Um, and it's like looking down a barrel of one of the smaller Swarovski ELs. So the optics are obviously fantastic. But the cool thing is that it has a camera as well. And so, you know, we worked closely with Swarovski to uh, build a direct connection between this monocular and Merlin. So it has, you know, it has Wi-Fi. You can basically be out in the field. You're seeing a bird you're not recognizing um, or you, you know, want some help identifying. And you can tap the button on the DG to snap a photo um, and it fires it off to the Merlin app. And so your image pops right up into photo ID, um, like we talked about. And from there, you get a list of birds to consider. Uh, and so you can basically go from, you know, looking at the bird to seeing an ID suggestion and reading more about it, seeing other photos and sounds, um, you know, within a couple seconds. So I think it's, you know, really going to open up how some people at least are learning about birds and kind of experiencing that, that learning experience. And I know you touched on this a little bit earlier on, but what are some of the future plans for the app? So there's always more more plans um, than we can, you know, reasonably build out. We're trying to, you know, continue building Merlin as this ID resource that meets people where they are, you know, addresses the challenges that people have at all different levels. The biggest thing that we hear currently um, from users um, and have been hearing for years at this point is that you know, it's a challenge to identify birds by sound. And so right now we're working on a new sound ID feature that's, you know, very similar to what I described for photo ID, you know, something that would allow you to take a recording and get a list of, you know, suggested identifications for it and then, you know, explore what that bird sounds like and see if there's a good match. And so we're pretty far along in that process right now. Um, really excited about launching that in the next few months. We'll be launching it for us and canada to start it takes a whole lot of data to kind of get it get it trained and working well and we want to make sure that it um, is working well but we plan to you know continue to roll that out for the the rest of the world as we're able and i would you know i would expect in the next year or so to be able to cover a lot more birds um, but it's really cool to be able to be outside holding your phone up you know taking an audio recording you can see a live spectrogram being generated so you can you know see the ups and downs of uh, the bird song 
and then you know see the see the actual bird that's making that sound um, come up on Merlin. Um, it's a pretty pretty cool experience. Some other things that we're thinking about um, are you know really building out the uh, similar species feature so that you can more easily compare between two tricky species. We have a lot of bird ID expertise at the lab. Um, you know, folks who have worked on field guides and written, you know, apps and books about bird identification. And so we're trying to figure out, you know, more ways of distilling what makes them so good at bird ID into something that's helpful um, in an app and can help other people learn more about bird ID and how to identify birds. But I, I would kind of turn that question around on you, Adam. What kind of things are, are you interested in, in seeing in Merlin? You know, we I love hearing feedback from people about what, you know, what is or isn't working in Merlin uh, or what features people like or would like to see. So I'd be very curious to hear, you know, what you or, or other podcast uh, listeners are, are interested in. I think definitely in terms of that feature to be able to identify bird calls, I think with most birders, that is the challenge. Most birders, visually, we, we get to a place, except for LBJs, we get to a place where we are, we get fairly competent, but calls are a real challenge i think it's almost like we you know, it's almost like a shazam for birds it'll be really really amazing and i think it'll just be something that'll be next level um but i think what we'll do is for people that listen to this if we'll 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 create some sort of way you can make comments but let's let us know let us know what else would you like merlin to offer what do you think the app could improve on just let us know we'd love to and we'll we'll offer the we'll give the feedback back to to drew and the team sounds awesome adam i'm looking forward to hearing that we chatted about this before we're going to be quite soon getting you on one of our youtube videos and we'll show people how the app works and that it's going to be quite exciting there's a you know it's great having you on the podcast but it's going to be great just doing a bit of a tutorial about how the app operates but one thing we haven't said yet is the app is a hundred percent free which is amazing how does someone go about downloading the app because i know when i first got it uh you know i think you need to it's good to have a bit of a wi-fi connection <laughs> so how does someone go about downloading the app and is it on ios and android or you know tell us a little bit of how the download process works yeah so uh like like you mentioned um it's 100 percent free um it works for ios and android so you can go to the you know, app store or play store and just search for merlin um, and it should be pretty easy to find there um, you can also go to MerlinBirdID.com um, to get a link directly to it. So you download the app. Um, the app itself is pretty small, but then like you mentioned, you do need to download a bird pack and the app will walk you through that process when you first launch it. You'll, uh, you know, if, you're, if you are in South Africa, it'll just automatically suggest the South Africa pack, um, but you can explore all the other packs that we offer if you are interested in another region. It is good to be on a Wi-Fi network uh, when you're setting this up because you want to uh, download that pack. And uh, the South Africa one, at least, is about 600 megabytes. And I think the the other piece that a lot of your listeners would be interested in is uh, once you have downloaded that pack, what you want to do is go to settings. And then uh, you can choose to turn on the scientific name if that interests you. But then under the common name language option, uh, you want to go and select English. South Africa, most likely, or pick whichever whichever language uh, best suits you. And so that'll do, be a small download, um, but then all the bird names should be you know, the birds that you recognize. Um, and that'll, that'll just make it work much better for you when you're comparing it to other resources, your other field guides, um, your other apps, if you use other apps. 
Well, thanks, Drew. I really appreciate having you on the show today. And we hope that after people listen to us, we can have a whole lot more listens from um, South Africa. So if you've got any questions, anyone's got questions, just pop them in maybe on Facebook or something. We will let you know where to pop those onto. But Drew, it's been great chatting to you. And we're looking forward to doing a YouTube video with you guys soon. Also just showing a little bit more of what um, Cornell has to offer the birding world. Yeah, that sounds great, Adam. Um, This has been fantastic talking to you. I'm really looking forward to putting that video together. Uh, it's you know it's fun talking about Merlin, but a short video can you know, really show so much off of of what it really offers for for birders around the world. So thanks again for for having me on, and I'm really looking forward to connecting with you again in the future. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life Project and the resources that we are putting out please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.